Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne, of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety. I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Liz. Hi, welcome Hi. to the Sober Mom Life. I'm Thank so you. excited you're here. I'm excited to be here and to meet you. Good. Okay, so I always say before we could talk about sobriety and where you're at with it, let's go back. Let's talk about alcohol. So I started, actually before I even started drinking, I'll just say like the environment that I grew up in. I grew up in a very large French-Canadian family. My house, like my parents' house, was the party house. So okay. all holidays were at our house um, and pretty much guaranteed every Friday, Saturday, and sometimes Thursdays, we had people over. And it really was, it was all about the adults. Kids were kind of <laughs> invisible, left to our own devices. And I learned by watching that alcohol is the way that adults let loose and have fun and also mm -hmm. the way that they cope. And also when you drink, you can talk about hard things. Like you, you can't talk about them sober, but you can talk about them when you're drinking. Yeah. Like it's the key. I'm so interested to hear because my growing up was a kind of similar in that you're a kid in a adult's environment, right? And nothing's going to change because you're there. And so how did that feel? Do you remember how that felt for you as a kid? So I have lots of feelings about it. I remember feeling invisible sometimes. I remember feeling worried. I re like consciously remember being like, okay, who's in control here? Who's in charge? And I think that feeling that anxiety has carried through with me to adulthood of wanting to be in control because it felt like the adults weren't in control in those moments. Yeah. And also sometimes it was fun, I have to say. You know, like I, I learned that that's how you have fun. And I had fun being with the adults. And I loved being a part of their conversations, even though I wasn't included. I was there and I was taking in everything they were saying. Oh, wow. Okay, so how old were you when this was happening? Like your whole childhood, pretty much? So yes, pretty much my whole childhood up until probably I would say my freshman year of high school, because that's when my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. So things kind of changed then. So it was majority of my childhood. But I actually started drinking the summer before my freshman year, just a few months before he was diagnosed with cancer. Okay. And did your parents know that you had started drinking? Yes. And they, <laughs> they were fine? Yes. So I'm the youngest out of four. I'm the baby. And I think by the time that I got to that point, it was like they were just been there, done that. 
and kind of just dealing with their own stuff. And because our house was the party house, I, I've had this conversation with my mom. Like she felt like it was okay because we were at their house drinking and not out in the woods somewhere or like on the road. So it made her feel like it was okay that she was providing us a safe place to drink, which can it really be safe when you have? <laughs> right. <laughs> and that still goes on today. It's like parents are like, well, you know, you're going to do it anyway. And so you might as well do it under my roof. And it's like, that's a big jump to say you're going to do it anyway. I mean, do they have, right? Like, let's have it be more of a conversation. But I don't think that that's uncommon even today that parents are like, yeah, come drink with me rather than hide it from me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I do see that still happening today with some of my friends or in, you know, the work that I do yeah. is parents have that perspective that it's safe if it's happening in a controlled environment, however much you can control it. Right. A controlled environment with a very highly addictive substance that is uncontrollable. <laughs> right. With developing brains. <laughs> oh, with developing <laughs> brains that, oh my God, yes. What's the work that you do? You mentioned that. So I am a therapist for teenagers, mostly. <gasps> really? Oh, my God. Fascinating. I want to get into that. Okay. Yeah. So tell me more. So you started drinking the summer before your freshman year. And what happened? So like I said, my dad was diagnosed with cancer October of my freshman year of high school. So that was like, you know, like I was drinking already to have fun. Um, my friends would come over and we all kind of found each other somehow looking back on it is like we were just meant to find each other like each one of my friends at that time had something kind of going on like divorced parents or you know their own family dysfunction and we just all were kind of dysfunctional and found each other so we were all drinking together to have fun but then certainly once you know finding out that my dad was sick it was also used as an escape in a way for me to cope. And I really struggled for as long as I can remember with self-image and self-esteem and kind of always being like the chubby friend or like friends with boys, but boys never liked me. And so drinking as a teenager kind of gave me a boost of confidence and also put me in dangerous situations. But I still chose to drink because I wanted that confidence. And I wanted, I wanted to feel the way that it made me feel at that time, even though I could have definitely, you know, looking back on some situations, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I made it out alive. Oh God. I think about that all the time. I'm like, how did I survive college and my twenties when mm -hmm. it was just, it really was just drinking, especially, you know, it sounds like our growing up is similar. Mine's a, a little bit different, but when you're in a, an environment when you are the one who cares because the adults, it seems like, don't care, right? It seems like when they're drinking, no one's in control. Like, who's caring about me here? That makes you really, really care a lot about everybody, about yourself. And when you drink something that makes you not care, I mean, and just makes you feel free, like, that's very desirable. desirable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? So nothing, nothing horrible happened during those years? No. Nothing catastrophic? 
Nothing catastrophic. I mean, maybe making out with way too many boys that I probably oh, yeah. wouldn't have made I mean, sex, sex, sex with strangers in my case. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yes, that. Uh-huh. Yes, definitely that. But no, nothing, nothing catastrophic during that time, thank goodness. Yeah. I think that this is always like an important story to tell. I always say that, that it's like, no, it wasn't this glaring. There are no alarm bells going off, right? But it still doesn't nope. mean that alcohol didn't steal stuff. It doesn't mean that alcohol wasn't a problem. I didn't really date a lot, but I did have a, a boyfriend my senior year of high school. And it was like that summer after. And I remember the band Lit came out with a song that was like, I'm sleeping with my clothes on. Yes, yes. My came through the window last night. Yes, 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 yes. yes. And <laughs> my boyfriend at the time was like, oh my gosh, that song is so you. And that <laughs> stuck with me. And I still think about it. I'm like, wow, even then. Yeah, wow. I'm going through the lyrics right now. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so then, so then walk me through the rest of it. Sure. So my dad ended up passing away. Uh, my, I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you. My freshman year of college. So oh, man. it was pretty much like exactly four years from like freshman year of high school to freshman year of college. And I really struggled. I dropped out of college. I worked in a restaurant and met even more kind of dysfunctional teens. Totally. Because restaurant is like the restaurant people know how to party. Yeah. So we did a lot of partying. And I did like a two week trip to Europe with my brother and some friends. And that was really eye opening for me, I think, because I was feeling so like lonely and so far away from home. And I think my grief was really hitting me because that was only a few months after my dad had passed away. And when I got back, I had kind of reconnected with some friends from the church that I went to growing up. And I kind of got more involved with these friends who I actually still call my good girls because <laughs> they weren't the partiers. I think they kind of helped me spiritually and emotionally kind of get some stuff figured out. And that's also the time where I started therapy. Oh, yeah. yeah that's so great. that was my first experience with therapy. And that was really helpful for me. But I mean, I kept drinking. Yeah. I can totally relate to the grief thing too. And it's like, man, <laughs> The grief is so fucking hard to feel, right? And then you're young. You are you were a freshman in college, which is already a scary time in your life anyway. And so it's like, of course, you were searching and numbing and escaping and searching and all of the, right? It was just probably a cycle. It was so hard because you're so young. And I, I was the only one in my life, in my circle that had lost a parent at that point. So it just, I felt so alone because nobody knew what I was going through and how could they? But I still felt like a level of anger towards them that they could just, you know, go on with their life when I felt like, you know, so stuck and so alone. Yeah. I'm sh I mean, I, I can't imagine being that young. So then you got hooked up with the church and with therapy and your drinking continued. Oh, yeah. My drinking continued. I feel like I kind of leveled out emotionally a little bit. But um, yeah, my drinking continued. I met my husband in my like mid to late 20s. We've been together for 16 years. And drinking is, was, 
has been a big part of the way that him and I connect, but he, he's kind of a soul seeker searcher. He's always reading. He actually read this naked mind a couple years ago. So he, he's literally always reading and trying to improve himself. That's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he is still drinking, but he kind of like had opened the, the door, I think for me to maybe start doing some, some work on, on my drinking and taking a look at, you know, how it was impacting my life because we have two small children, almost nine and seven. And I have learned that alcohol, well, thinking back to my childhood, right. is like, I don't want my kids to feel invisible. Yeah. I don't want my kids to be worried about who's in control. I just don't want that for them. But I just kept lying to myself essentially and saying, well, that's not the case. My kid's childhood is not like my childhood. So the last time I drank was March 17th, St. Patrick's Day of this year. Wow. Okay. So today is 86 days. Amazing. Yeah. So I'm fairly, fairly new to it. So the last time we drank, it was just me and my husband. I had two bottles of Prosecco left over from a family function. And we're like, hey, it's Friday. Let's uh, pop open the Prosecco. And we had a great time. It was a fun night. Yeah. However, however. However. Yeah. I rushed my kids to bed that night. And I woke up the next day just feeling awful. Like, Mm. I work full time. I already get such limited time with my kids. Why would I want to cut that time even more short and potentially make that a negative experience for them? Mm -hmm. So that for me was like, this has got to be it. I love that you're sharing this story and that you signed up to be on here because I think that, and I always say this and I always will, that the stories that aren't sensational and that aren't rock bottom, the stories that are filled with a whole lot of not yets, right? And the space before, Mm -hmm. I think are the most important stories to tell and for moms who are still drinking to hear. Because you saying that you knew it was enough for you when you rushed your kids to bed. No one historically has is ever going to consider that enough to quit drinking. I mean, we've just been taught that we don't we don't either look at our drinking or we don't quit drinking until it's very clearly uncontrollable, taken over our lives that we it's destroyed our lives and we've been taught to wait until then. Don't look at it until your life is destroyed. And you saying that was enough. You recognize that your time with them is so precious and that you were prioritizing your time with alcohol over your time with them in just in that little moment of bedtime and like rushing through it. I think that that is huge. And I'm so glad you're sharing this. I'm happy to share this. I think that, you know, it really wasn't a light switch moment because I will tell you, like I did do dry January. So that was kind of the catalyst, you know, was like trying out dry January and really just like loving how I was feeling because I I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's a couple of years ago and that's a, a thyroid condition and just like not having very much energy 
and just being tired all the time. And I, I would do anything to feel better. Like I cut out gluten, I cut out dairy, but why didn't I cut out alcohol? (laughs) Right. Because we're not taught to do that, Right. right? We're taught that if we cut out alcohol, that means holy shit, you got to go to AA. You have to declare yourself powerless. I thought that I would just be in a battle with alcohol forever if I cut it out. And I didn't feel like I was in a battle with alcohol daily when I was drinking it. And so then why would I cut it out and be in a battle forever? And I didn't realize that it would it would be like a gluten. Like, oh, okay, I could just, I could I could cut it out. My body would feel better. It would drastically improve my life even more than cutting out gluten. But yeah, we're just not taught to do that. No, we're not. And I noticed like, you know, like as I was journaling, because I've been journaling every night since March 18th, and I just write the reason why I'm not drinking is because it doesn't serve me anymore. Like, that's it. Yes. You've outgrown it. I have outgrown it. And I have to say, I mean, finding your podcast has been so helpful. I've listened to so many episodes, all the reading I've done, um, you know, like the Quitlet has been just so helpful because it didn't serve me anymore. But then listening to your podcast and reading the books really just opened my eyes to what I already knew. But like the fact that it's a poison, like alcohol is toxic. And right, why are we choosing to consume something that we know is messing with our skin, our organs, our, all around our health. It just, it's like mind blowing. Totally. We've been totally tricked and brainwashed. And not only is it messing with all of those things, I think that, and what it sounds like the crux of what you got to is that it was messing with your connection or just like creeping into messing with your connection with your kids, right? Yes. And when you had that parallel with your childhood, that's what I did with mine too. I was like, oh, holy shit, alcohol doesn't give a shit. It doesn't care if you are the primary caretaker for your kids. It doesn't care if your kid is too. Alcohol doesn't care if you have to drive. Like alcohol does not care. And I know that sounds stupid because it's like, well, yeah, it's a substance. Of course it doesn't care. But no, you guys, alcohol does not care about you. It doesn't care about your kids. It doesn't care about your connection with your kids to make sure that your kids feel safe. Alcohol doesn't give a shit. And so, yeah, when you saw that glimmer of, okay, this is starting to come between myself and my kids. And then looking back at your childhood history, that was like, okay, yeah, I don't have to choose this. I don't have to choose this. And I want to choose better. I would choose better for myself if I could, right? So I have the choice to choose better for my children. And why would I not do that? I love that. Does it also, you know, it's it's all the re- reparenting thing. And that's what just causes me to be in a puddle on the floor if I think about how I would take care of myself and mm-hmm. six-year-old me. And I'm guessing yours is similar. Is it, is it a way that you can take care of yourself too? You as a little girl and say, no, what you know what? You deserved to feel loved and safe and to be seen. You're not invisible to me. Absolutely. That is on my mind so often when I'm interacting with my children is being gentle to them and giving them the love and the support that I wish that I had had sometimes. Not to say that my parents weren't loving and supportive, but of course, that's just the way that our brain our brain works. Our brain is built to remember the negative and the bad, right? Yes. That is flight or fight 
that's just how our brain works. So I think that I just think about those moments that when I can choose kindness and, you know, gentleness for my kids and helping them know that they're loved and that they're seen, I'm always going to choose that. And so alcohol was getting in the way of being able to provide all of that for them. And for you. And for me. Right? That's the hardest part for me, right? Like I know how to love my kids and I can, especially being sober and not letting alcohol come in between, like I don't have to learn how to unconditionally love my kids. But through sobriety, I'm working on showing that to myself and being like, no, I choose sobriety, yes, for my kids, but also for me, right? Yes. That's the hard part. We're so hard on ourselves, I think. Yes. I love that. You just said that. And I did have a thought a couple weeks ago of like, just feeling like, wow, I'm like, I'm getting out of my own way. Not drinking Mm. is helping me get out of my own way. And I'm really like supporting myself. And I've never done that. And it feels so good. I'm like, I could have been doing this all along, but I didn't. And that's okay, too, because I'm here now. And it feels great. It is so true. You're getting out of your own way. And like, you're giving yourself a chance. That's what I always say. Like, we could go through our entire lives not giving ourselves a chance, not knowing that we are strong enough to feel all of this stuff. Everything that comes at us, it's not going to break us. We can figure out stuff as long as we give ourselves a chance and not let alcohol get in between us and what we need and and how we can love ourselves. I want to hear about your your job so you get to kind of be in the belly of the beast and talk with teenagers. Yes, I definitely feel like it's my life's passion. And I used to kind of question how good I could be at this job when I was younger. But then I'm like, there's so many things that I've lived through that makes me good at what I'm doing, right? Like, yes, I grew up feeling invisible sometimes and unseen and unheard and experiencing grief at a young age. Like, I don't talk about my personal life with these kids, but I, I have so much empathy for their struggles and helping them navigate their relationships with friends and family and whatever they might be going through. I just absolutely adore all of them. And I love my job. And it really has given me so much. And I feel lucky to have found something that really works for me because I was not a good student because I was too busy drinking and socializing with my friends. Yeah. I mean, I just think that yeah, like therapy for all. And and that this just points to this idea that the next generation is going to be better equipped. And I, I mean, I could have used therapy when I was little, but I don't think it was even, you know, it wasn't as, as accepted. It wasn't really even a thing then. I mean, maybe it was, but I don't know. It wasn't because I think right? we're the same age. You're 42. Yeah, I'm 42. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, right? Like, yeah, I feel like for Gen X kids, they're like, yeah, just, you know, latchkey kids. I was like, go take care of yourself. Yes. Okay. I had really bad panic attacks my sophomore year of high school. And I remember my dad was like, just smoke a cigarette. You'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> That's so funny. There was just no... fill your air with fill your lungs with smoke. It's fine. Yeah, and there was no discussion of like going to see a therapist or is like no, you'll no. be fine. Just deal with it. There was no like box breathing. It was like nope. no, breathe in, breathe nope. in some of this. You'll be fine. <laughs> oh my god! And so, how do you think about your sobriety now? You're eighty. What did you say? Eighty four days. Eighty six days. Yep. 86 days. Okay. How are you feeling about it as you look forward? I feel great. I went to the Dave Matthews Band concert on Saturday and it was amazing to go to a concert sober. I had not seen Dave since I was like 20 and it was incredible people watching. And I just kept thinking, oh my goodness, I am so glad I am not that person right now. And I'm going to remember all the songs and I'm driving my husband and my friends home safely, and I'm going to sleep great. And so everything I'm feeling right now is all positive. Like I have not yet had a moment where I'm like, I'll just have a glass of wine. Like I'm, I'm not missing it. I'm glad that I have a community and, you know, I, I know where to turn to. Um, if I do yeah. kind of get that itch, but I have not been there yet. So I'm just kind of riding riding that wave and really feeling proud of myself and loving where I'm at. I'm so glad. I'm hoping to get my husband on board too. Yeah, I feel like it does take the husbands a little bit a, a little bit longer. If your husband's anything like mine, it's just like he'll, you know, he's like just behind me a little bit. And he's like, he's always like, I'm right behind you. I'll be there someday. I'm like, I know. And I feel like he's drinking so much less and like less drinking is always going to be better. Right. And they're, they're just like, we're the influencers. So they'll follow. 100% agree. He definitely drinks a lot less. Plus he doesn't have me to, you know, drink with him anymore. So it has changed, but I do think he, he's going to get there too. And I hope he does. I look forward to that day, but I know everybody's got to get there on their own time. So, (laughs) so true. So true. Well, Liz, I'm so glad that I got to talk to you and hear your your story. And I think it's one of the most important ones to hear. And so I know it will help so many moms. And I just thank you so much. I hope so. And I thank you. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that this resonates with other people. And I know that I'll have this to come back to and hope it continues to resonate with me too. Yes, it will for sure. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye.